we kick off our SMSU campus update. And joining me in studio, as per usual, is Bill Molso, the VP for Government Relations, Communications, and Marketing. Bill, good morning. Good morning, Josh. Also joining us in studio is Dan Ripple, the Southwest Minnesota Orchestra Musical Director. Dan, good morning. Good morning. Great to be here. Well, happy to have you. Also joining us is Chris Gruhat, the cellist in the orchestra and a member of the SMO board. Chris, how are we doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. We got our, all sorts of stuff to talk about. We're going to be talking about the Sunday Orchestra. That's going to be, uh, it's titled Composing Under Adversity. Also going to be chatting about Dan's 25th anniversary as the musical director. And plus their concert coming up here in a few weeks on November 4th in St. Paul. Also the Emmy Award. First, we'll talk about the opening concert of the orchestra season coming up on Sunday, October 22nd. That's five days from now. It'll feature music by composers who faced adversity. Uh, first, can you tell us how you came to choose the theme for the concert? Well, I'm going to let Chris Grihat, our, our board president, talk more about that because it was her idea. And it was a, it's a great idea because there are lots of uh, ways to kind of uh, re-examine music, uh, classical music. Uh, it uh, the canon has been uh, you know set for a long time, and we're we're now in the last few years really taking different looks at classical music and how it it can pertain to some of the issues that we deal with in modern society right now. But uh, composing through adversity means uh, uh, composers that were still wrote, wrote mu- great music, but had severe uh, 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 severe uh, how should we say handicaps of, of of a variety of reasons? I'm gonna let Chris take that take that one over. So yes, um, our funding for our concert cycles comes from the Southwest Minnesota Arts and Humanities Council, and so we have to apply for grants every grant cycle. And um, today, I in today's world, I felt that there is um, a push to often cancel the great, what you would consider the great composers, um, names that you would recognize. So um, even though these men are old and white, predominantly white and uh, now deceased, um, I don't feel like a lot of people realize that many of them had uh, various handicaps, if you want to call it that. Um, The three composers we're going to be hearing from, uh, Dan can actually expand on what their issues were. We'll talk about it a little bit at the concert as well. Right, yeah, well, we're doing three main composers. Uh, Smetana, who was uh, Czech, um, uh, a Czech composer, um, and who had numerous maladies, including losing his uh, hearing and eventually becoming totally mentally incapacitated, but was composing right up until the end. Uh, within a few months of his death. Um, and he often said that composing was the one thing that kept him going. Of course, we know about uh, Beethoven's malady. It's the most famous <clears throat> malady suffered by a composer. What could be more you know, pathos-ridden than to have a composer uh, who loses his hearing? Um, and uh, in Schubert's case, uh, he, uh, he actually had a, uh, there's kind of a, 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 a late or early style and a late style. In most composers, we talk about early, middle, late, but Schubert didn't live long enough for that. He only has early and late. And uh, he uh, contracted syphilis and could not, uh, was too poor to really, uh, to really uh, get the right medical treatment to, to stave off the worst effects and died early because of it. But again, was composing up until 
just two weeks before he died, he was still composing things. And it's in his last year when he was sickest, that uh, most ill, that he wrote some of his greatest works, the three last piano sonatas, um, the, the string piano, the string quintet, and um, and was finishing up the editing of, of the symphony we're going to play on Sunday called The Great Symphony. And it certainly is his greatest symphonic work. Chris, can you tell me which one of these pieces is your favorite? Well, I've actually played uh, the Beethoven Piano Concerto and the um, Schubert, and I only know that, not because I remember it, it was many years ago, but uh, the music that was handed out, my handwriting's all over it, so I know I've played it. Mm -hmm. Um, But the Smetana is a first for me. Um, I really enjoy that, but the Schubert, um, a lot of people call it the long symphony or maybe even the longest it's about an hour long straight through and it is so physically demanding um i don't know that i've been able to play it straight through yet um it is it's a big one it's an hour long and it's very intense um so i would have to say that's probably my favorite dan um the the middle section of the uh, of the middle movement one of the middle movements. There's four movements, but the 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 middle section of the of the scherzo movement is for me my fa- one of my favorite favorite things. It's this bath of Austrian uh, yodeling and and clarinet, and it's just like alpine and beautiful and sweet. And the clarinets get to shine, and we have two really great clarinets uh, in our orchestra, and I just love that part. I I when I'm down, I'll often find that on YouTube and just listen to that because it just, it's just, to me, it's the most person. Uh, many Austrian people think <clears throat> that if, if you somehow cannot love Schubert, you can't have an Austrian passport. And I would agree with them. So that's my yeah, favorite. Definitely looking forward to that. And you mentioned Beethoven. I feel like most people <clears throat> knew about that story. Why did you feel the need to spotlight these other disabilities for these other composers? Well, I think, you know, I think people don't realize people think, you know, Schubert died very early and but they don't know exactly how awful it was for him the last few years of his life. Um, The treatment for syphilis was actually often worse than the actual disease. They used mercury, which was, of course, a lot of people has died from that. Um, It was a very uh, strange time where getting married was extremely difficult, was very there was a lot of official uh, stuff to go through to get married. And so uh, men were not always so uh, uh, careful. Uh, and uh, it was a very conflicted time. Um, it just those, it's the, especially those 30 years of, of Schubert's life was when it was most difficult. You had to get a, called an ea consens. You had to get a, not only get a state permission, but you had to get permission from your parish church. And you had to, it was just a lot of rigmarole to get married. Um, and the p- poor people often could not get married. And so there were a lot of out-of-wedlock uh, out births in Vienna at the time. Um, uh, so I don't think people realize sometimes the context with which, you, you know, the context around which, you know, Schubert was spending his last few years and spending in, in pretty much in agony. Um, and yet, um, did, he, did that defeat him? No. In fact, he used that as even more reason for him to step up to the plate. His last few years were really in competition with Beethoven. 
And uh, when Beethoven died, um, he felt like, you know, uh, that he really had to carry on the legacy. And in fact, the only public concert of Schubert was on the first anniversary of Beethoven's death. So he very much felt himself to be in that lineage. And if he had only lived another 20 years, my God, what would have what we could have gotten out of him. It's incredible. Uh, Smet, I don't think people realize uh, Smetana uh, was so plagued with physical maladies uh, all through the last 20 years, 20 years of his life, but especially the last couple, and still, you know, rose above it. So um, we're using this this prism uh, to look at compositions. It's really, you know, not not trying to um, to how should we say sensationalize the maladies. <clears throat> but rather to talk about the heroic human spirit that rises above those maladies and brings forth incredible, incredible music. Now, I understand you have some guests joining you for this concert. Once again, this concert is Composing Under Adversity coming up here in just a few days on the 25th. Now, tell me, who are some of these special guests and what are they performing? Well, we have uh, two choirs joining us, Prairie Arts Chorale, who should they should be very well known to all of us here in this area, <clears throat> Southwest Minnesota's great choral tradition. Um, they've been around for about as long as we have, about 50 plus years. Um, and then we also have the University of Minnesota Morris uh, Concert Choir coming to join us. Um, you know, because, you know, Prairie Arts Chorale agreed to it, but they said, we want help. And uh, the choral fantasy of Beethoven needs some real oomph to, to uh, have it come you know, have it to be sound as good as it the piece really is. Um, we're also having soloists from Minneapolis and the local area sing the solo parts to the Choral Fantasy. And my son is coming down, Eric Ripple, who is the principal timpanist of the Minnesota Orchestra, that other Minnesota Orchestra, as I once, I once referred to it as. Um, he's coming down to conduct me in the Choral Fantasy. I, I was planning to do it from keyboard to play the, to conduct and play the solo part which I have done in Marshall twice <clears throat> before. But the last time we did this piece was to dedicate the Schwann Center at the high school. Uh, we were the first group to come in there and do an actual full concert. Um, but I had rotator cuff surgery, surgery about six months ago, and it's just tougher for me to raise my arms up higher because I'll be sitting most of the time and then get down to the piano and find the, find the right notes, hopefully. So I thought... Uh, Let's have let's have the young buck come out and and uh, and do it. So he'll be joining us for that. Yeah, I want to correct myself. October twenty second. I read twenty fifth, but we're going to be talking about your twenty fifth anniversary here in just <laughs> oh, a bit. Oh, I see. So all those, October twenty yeah. second. I do want to ask, what's it uh, like, or what's it going to be like to have your son conducting you? Well, he did just uh, about a year and a half ago. He we at the end of our fiftieth anniversary celebration for the orchestra, we did the five. Uh, concertos of Beethoven, and I I did the fourth concerto on the last concert, and he came to conduct me there, and it was great. And he's conducted one other time at our Russian uh, Russian festival a long time ago. He conducted one of the pieces, so he he actually wanted to be a conductor, um, but his mother, a blessed memory, and I said. No, you have too much success as a timpanist, and you actually can get paid to be a timpanist. It's 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 harder to find an orchestra job as a conductor. Way harder. I mean, there's always room for a timpanist. There's lots of, but there's only one conductor per orchestra. So, um, so 
he thankfully he listened to our advice for once and uh i'm so grateful that he's in the same state and city that i live in and and we i get to see him quite often now chris i know we've chatted about uh, the cello a little bit before but I got to know, how do you pick up the cello? Because that's not a common instrument that kids pick up when they're younger. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, and honestly, this I think I've mentioned it before. My sole reason for playing the cello, um, you know, you're in fourth grade, you're, what, 10 years old. Um, they present all these instruments to you. And at the time, I was probably all of three feet tall. I'm short. I'm <laughs> barely five, just over five foot right now. Um, but back then I was really short and because of my shortness, I got picked on a lot. And so walking home from school, because back then we were still allowed to walk to and from school. Um, I got chased by a lot of kids who, um, you know, would chase me down and I would run. So I figured out that this instrument was bigger than me. And if I carried that on my back, it would deter the kids who were chasing me. And actually that worked. So I wanted to pick a big instrument that I could swing around at them if I had to. Um, and that was just fine. It, it, it stuck with me. But I only played um, in an organized group through eighth grade. And then my parents moved to a really small rural town in South Dakota that did not have an orchestra. They had a band. Um, so I did continue with private lessons. Um, for a few years and then gave it up. And then I came to, um, at the time, SSU and was walking the hallways uh, in the fall and just exploring the campus. And the university was built as a performing arts college. It is. It was set up with a dance studio and rehearsal rooms and um, a lot of performing arts. So as I was walking through the hallway, I heard somebody playing a cello in one of the practice rooms. So I knocked on the door and said, what are you doing? And why are you playing that cello here? And they told me there was an orchestra. So um, as my class scheduled allowed, uh, I joined the orchestra. So never did take it for credit, just uh, would show up to rehearsal once in a great while. I never got booted out. Um, and then after college, I gave it a rest. Um, and uh, I don't know, 23 years ago or so, I decided to pick it up again. So um, Dan has not kicked me out yet. Um, thankfully, he did not require me to audition because I probably wouldn't be there. Oh. Um, <laughs> but I'm not that strong of a player. Uh, and I'm really panicked at this moment because our our principal cellist, uh, just Samson Obel, um, he and his wife just gave birth to twins. Oh. So, um He's in Sioux Falls with his new little family, and I'm panicked knowing that he won't be here on Sunday. Um, but we'll power through somehow. Does that make you the principal cellist now? No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> it might, Chris. It might, in fact. <laughs> you may be promoted. Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah. I can see the excitement in your, or is that pure anxiety and nerves? I think it's terror. Yeah. That's, that's panic. <laughs> yeah. I actually did bring it out on... Uh, I actually took out my cello on Sunday and was spent about two hours going through the difficult parts. And, and, um, I don't know, my husband said I was swearing at my music a lot <laughs> and <laughs> I don't why know. should you be different? I swear at it too. So. <laughs> um, I did also want to kind of ask what, what are some of the challenges you face as a member on the, on the board for the Southwest Minnesota orchestra? Uh, really no challenges whatsoever. Um, 
working we, with me. Yeah, yeah, we don't we don't really meet that often. Um, and when we do, we meet via Zoom. Uh, it seems to work out really well for us. But um, you know, the orchestra is unique. Um, you consider all the musical groups at SMSU. Um, the orchestra needs a lot of extra funding. You know, you you have enough bodies to fill the chairs for band and for choir. For orchestra, not so much. Um, we're pretty unique. So um, we actually did form a nonprofit group that supports the orchestra. So whereas the university surpri- uh, supplies provides support for the orchestra in Dan and rehearsal space and um, the music library and printing these beautiful posters that Marcy does, Marcy and Maddie. Um, we do have a nonprofit that's behind us that helps us with the funding issues. So um, that's my shameless pitch for if anybody's looking for a urine donation, we are a nonprofit and you can write it off on your taxes. So, but that, you know, just keeping the or- the funding coming in is probably the biggest challenge. All right, very good. And uh, another big part of this concert, Mr. Dan Ripple's 25th anniversary as the musical director of the Southwest Minnesota Orchestra. I've got the white hair to prove it. <laughs> you do? I can confirm. You have the, I have the no hair, so what does that say about me? Uh, so tell us, I mean, you came to SMSU how many moons ago? 1998, you, fall of 1998. You just kind of stuck around ever since. Just kind of tell us, kind of walk us through that journey. Well, uh, you know, I I was raised just 70 miles north of here in Appleton, Minnesota. <clears throat> and uh, I had cousins. Uh, my dad's twin sister lived here for years, for like 35, 40 years. Um, so I knew Marshall. And um, uh, I told my wife, Julieta, that uh, this was a great town, uh, was a great place to raise kids, and we could be musicians. And uh, we we went right, you know, we went neck deep right away. And it was a I'm I'm very happy to have made that move. It's the it's very difficult to be um, a classical musician. <clears throat> there are very few actual jobs that can support a family, and this has been um, one of the one of the best moves I ever made. Uh, I know that some uh, musicians in other parts of the world and even in Minneapolis thought, oh, well, you'll be way out in the prairie. You'll never play again. And that's not true. In fact, I could have a family life and and be a, a, a classical musician much, much more easily in Marshall. Um, still maintaining a relationship with Minneapolis and other cities. But uh, it was the foundation of my family's life. I'll, I'll be forever grateful of, of to Southwest Minnesota State for, for allowing me to be a classical musician, an academic, and uh, to have a family life. It's, 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 uh, I know people who try to do it in Chicago and New York, and there's freelancing, and it is so desperate. It is so difficult. Um, and uh, so it's, it's been really great. And I've always had uh, board presidents like Chris and, and um, how should we say, indulgent deans like Jan Loft, who will, you know, if, if, if I'm straying too far off the path, they'll they'll cover for me, or they'll 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 say he's doing good things. Let's 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 he'll come back and and get the paperwork done at some point. Um, Jan Loft can tell you more stories about that. <laughs> Most of them legal, um, but uh, it's it's been a it's been a great 
experience. And I also have to say that I was a choir conductor at several Lutheran parishes before I came out here. And that was the only conducting I had done except one, a couple string concerts with the college I was at before I came here. And so I had studied conducting, but I'd never actually done it. And when I came out here, I, I was just afforded this incredible opportunity that allowed me to do much bigger projects than if I had just been a pianist. Um, so it's been a, just a really labor of love. It's been tricky. Uh, strings don't grow uh, you know, very easily on the prairie, but um, it's amazing the people that have come forward and it's been amazing the kind of things we've been able to do being a small ensemble, but very, very dedicated over these last, not just my 25 years, but the 52 years the orchestra has been around. Now, for these last 25 years, what would you say the biggest difference is from your first year to year number 25? <clears throat> well, when I when I conduct furiously, it hurts more. Um, I, what, what is the big biggest difference? Um, I have to say that I, I feel like we are losing some of our musical literacy in the general population. And I'm very worried that public schools, if they if they should back, you know, that they should be backing away from teaching the classical canon. Um, you know, I think there needs to be more voices <clears throat> in classical music and poetry and literature. We need to hear from everyone, uh, everyone that has something really important to say, that is. Um, but I, I don't think we should back away from teaching the composers that was the that were the basis for everything that we do, and I am seeing that there that is getting harder to do, whether it be just because we're getting farther away from it, or if there's some political uh, reasons for that. Um, I think I think we have to strike a balance between hearing the new voices and making sure we preserve the legacy. Um, and so I I'm hoping that uh, students, young students especially, especially in grade school and high school. Uh, are are exposed to this music, understand why it's so great, understand why it's life affirming, and bespeaks of the of the largest of the human spirit. That's why I'm so grateful to Chris and her leadership with our children's concerts, um, which we've done many times. We haven't done the last couple of years between COVID and some other issues, but but those are great concerts. And when there's 750 kids come into the Schwann Center, it's the highlight of my academic year. They are turned on, they're switched on, they're polite. People talk about, you know, you know, kids are getting less polite. or But these kids are polite. They sit there, they listen, they love it. And it is just the highlight when I hear those young, when I see those young faces absorbing this music. It's, it's one of the best things we do as an orchestra uh, is, our, is our children concerts. Chris, do you have any favorite memories over the last uh, 20 or so years with Dan? <laughs> well, be nice, Chris. Yeah. yeah, well, and Dan probably doesn't even remember this, but my first run in, if you want to call it that, with Dan, um, our kids, Eric and David, were in the same class at Holy Redeemer School. And I was a, what do they call them, room mother, had to call everybody on the list and ask them to bring treats. And I made the mistake of calling uh, Dan's residence, and he answered the phone, and I asked for Julieta. And he was not happy with me. Oh, come <laughs> yeah. on. Really? He, yes. Oh, okay. Yes. He let me know that the pronunciation was Julieta. <laughs> uh, I felt about two inches tall at that moment. I'm sorry. He continues. So she was probably the first and only Panamanian I know that lived in Marshall. So, um, you know, Dan's mismatched socks. 
always stand out in my mind too. So it's a little things like that. Now, in addition to playing here in Marshall, the orchestra will also be playing in uh, St. Paul on November 4th to celebrate Dan's silver anniversary. Can you tell us more about that? It's actually Minneapolis. It's oh. uh, it's uh, St. Saint Mark's Episcopal Cathedral in Minneapolis, right alongside Loring Park and across from the Walker Art Center. <clears throat> and uh, that is Sunday, or Saturday, Saturday evening, November fourth at seven thirty p.m. And we are uh, mem- we are we are uh, part of the actual music series that's that's happening there. So we're part of their offerings that they do every year, and we're extremely. Um, uh, Pleased to be invited and very pleased to be in that wonderful space. It's an acoustical marvel, St. Mark's. And we're just really delighted that we can play the concert there as well. We'll be adding, we'll be doing the same program we're doing in Marshall, but we'll be adding a piece uh, called Ear Abounding by the great uh, uh, Marshall composer, uh, SMSU uh, com- uh, Professor Emeritus, uh, Robert Butler Whitcomb whom I've had the great pleasure of promoting um, since I've been here. Uh, Bob and Lois uh, sh- uh, showed us around town when we first got here. Lois sold us our house that we lived in for eight or nine years on the edge of Marshall. And uh, Bob gave me, in his very unassuming way, gave me a stack of his music. And I thought, oh, isn't this nice? This old guy is giving me his music. Well, I'll have to get to it someday. And I'm very ashamed that I didn't look at it for a good couple of years. But when I did, I realized what a volcanic talent this guy was and that he's one of the great American composers who happened to live in Marshall, Minnesota and happened to teach on the faculty for 20 years. Um, I love Bob's music because it's such it's such it's so much of the vein of middle America modernism. And I also love Bob's story because he was a World War Two veteran, a prisoner of war. Uh, a winner of the Purple Heart, um, an absolute uh, rib rock. Um, I don't know if they'd like me to say this, but a rib rock Republican and uh, a, a Presbyterian. He was once asked what he would be if he were not a Presbyterian. And he very serenely said, I'd be ashamed. Um, <laughs> so he was an old fashioned uh, American guy. Uh, I loved him to bits. He was a close friend of mine, even though he's 41 years older than me. And I'll never forget the last time I heard him speak. He was arguing with his wife, his dear wife, Lois, of like 65 years over over uh, uh, an entry into the crossword puzzle. He was within hours of dying. But he said, no, no, Lois, it's Bernay you're looking for. That's what you're looking for. And uh, I mean, Bob and Lois are just that's they're part of what made this country great, quite frankly. Now we got to talk about an Emmy Award as well. Yeah, that little thing. Yeah, <laughs> tell us more. Well, uh, the uh, the documentary that was made by Pioneer Public TV of uh, Ryan Hugh Ross, uh, a, a Gold Alumni winner of SMSU, and a former student of mine, he and I commissioned a Southwest Minnesota composer uh, to uh, write a piece on Bill Holmes' greatest poetic work, playing Haydn for the Angel of Death. And the documentary they made of that, you know, that creation of that work, and then our Icelandic premiere of it, uh, won an Emmy, the the original Emmy last Saturday night. And Dana Conroy, the producer, called me uh, uh, from the road after she was leaving the ceremony and said, guess what? 
we won. So I'm just so, so very honored uh, to have that as, um, as it turns out, as part of my 25th anniversary. And I also must publicly thank, as I often have, but I want to also say this on this radio station that Brian and Chris Gruhat gave a lot of money for that project. And uh, with the president's fund help as well, only between those two entities would this, would this have happened. So we are very grateful. And it's been a project that's had unbelievable legs and, um, and we want to continue that, continue that, uh, success forward by, by recording it soon. So we are going to be making pleas for, for, for donations for that at some point, but we are so delighted to that, that that has happened. No doubt. I mean, when you got the news that you won, what was your reaction? Well, I was watching uh, weekend update on Saturday night live, <laughs> which I have probably missed maybe 25 times in its 40 year run. Wow. I, that is like, that's like going to church for me. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I got to watch weekend update. It's, it's, I think it's some of the funniest writing. And so when she called, I almost didn't answer it because it was right, man, there's very little, my, my new girlfriend, Dolores Ford thinks I'm a little weird when it comes to that. She's like rolls her eyes and just thinks, Oh, what's wrong with this guy? But I answered the phone and I'm so glad I did. And it was just, I was just gobsmacked. I just couldn't believe that, um, we were lucky enough for, and, and fortunate enough to, to have this great honor. And they said that they are going to loan it to me for the concert on Sunday so people can take a look at it and get pictures with it if they want, whatnot. I was hoping to, you know, are we going to see pictures of it or are we going to be able to like touch it, see it? And sure. We're on, if Sunday, if you come to the concert at go. four o'clock at the Schwann Center, you will be able to see the Emmy Award. It'll be there for limited, you know, limited viewing just that day. Very cool. They threatened me if I lost it that I would, you know, never, never be allowed back in Granite Falls again. So, well, yeah, we don't want that. To we happen. don't want that. No. Once again, the concert composing under adversity will be held Sunday, October 22nd at four o'clock at the Schwann Community Center for the Performing Arts at the Marshall High School. Chris, Dan, thanks for the chat today. Thank we'll you for again it. soon. As uh, I think, do we have your mic working? I think so. Yeah, there we go. All right. See, I just we're, had to turn some. We're, we're on. And, so. Well, I, d- I just want to add, Dan, thank you for all you've done uh, for SMSU, for Southwest Minnesota. I mean, the, the impact you've had on the musical landscape here the last 25 years is frankly quite amazing. Uh, lots of stories that we could all tell good and bad and ugly, uh, <laughs> but congratulations on 25 years and thank you for all you've done and looking forward to a great concert this weekend and a celebration of you as well. Thank you very much, Bill. I really do appreciate it. Now, Bill, you do have some events. I mean, are we kind of... We have the big one on Sunday, but we do yeah. have a couple others around there that we probably should raise up as well. We're, we're, we're cooling down a little bit after homecoming, right? Hey, by the way, great job on that weather guarantee on Saturday. No rain. Everything You're, went off without a hitch. You're welcome. I kind of wish I gave myself that guarantee on Thursday and Friday when I was <laughs> stuck in the rain. You should have done that. So. Yeah. Anyways, what do we got? We have uh, home volleyball tonight. The Mustangs will be hosting USF. That's a 6 o'clock start. That's actually a non-conference game tonight in the PE gym. Uh, Friday, the men's basketball team kind of starts their season off with an exhibition. It's their annual Andy Wiersma alumni game. That's at 7 o'clock. Uh, this weekend, the SMSU Pep Band will be hosting their Play Like a Mustang event, so they can come and join the Mustang Pep Band uh, at the football game, which is at 1 o'clock Saturday afternoon. That's a 1 o'clock kickoff. Uh, coming up on Monday the 23rd in the Upper Conference Center, there will be a panel discussion on 
Our Endangered Democracy with Dr. Michael Deerdorf and Dr. Leslie Burl McLemore. And then the SMSU Foundation Women's Conference will be coming up on the 25th. So next week, a big week for them. And then, of course, Little Women. We're going to hear more about that production next week, but that starts uh, October 25th through the 28th. Uh, with matinees October 28th and 29th at 2 o'clock. So we'll learn more about that. And then we're getting out there a little bit. Believe it or not, it's Halloween already. Mm-hmm. And uh, mark your calendars. Residence Halloween, which is always uh, a fun community event where we invite students or young kids to come in and check out our residence halls. Trick-or-treating will be October 28th from 4 to 7 uh, at SMSU in the residence hall. So be sure to check that out. So. Uh, and then one last one, get on your calendar on Monday, October 30th, the SMSU Theater and Office of Diversity and Inclusion will host a performance of scenes from the play Muya Pei and an artist talking by current playwright Akuda Zar on October 30th. So that's all we have, Josh. Very cool. Uh, do you have your Halloween costume picked out yet? I do not. What are you going to, you better figure it out. You got like two weeks. A couple days. Yeah. I'll work on it. All right, sounds good. Bill I suggested Molso. Lady Gaga before, but he didn't go for that. <laughs> Remember the, when she wore that? Yeah, uh, I would be the meat. Yeah, yeah, yeah that would be me. The dress that made out of meat. That would uh-huh. be you. There we go. Yeah. Uh, please don't wear that. No, and I won't. And if you do, please stay, get that stay inside out of your my home. head. <laughs> uh, definitely want to thank Dan Ripple, the Southwest Minnesota Orchestra Musical Director. Also, Chris Gruha, cellist in the orchestra and member of the SMO Board for joining us here this morning. Also... Bill also VP for Government Relations, Communications, and Marketing. Thanks for the chat. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you, Josh. Thank you.